reading from Psalm 119, verses 89 to 96. That's page 438. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. And now we turn to the second book of Timothy on page 843. And we're reading from chapter 3 verse 10 through to chapter 4 verse 8. It's page 483. Paul's charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also to all who have longed for his appearing. About 150 years before the Reformation started, John Wycliffe translated the Bible from the Latin version into English. The church really didn't like this, and so in 1401, the king at the time passed a law banning translating or owning the Bible in English, and the law said that heretics could be burned at the stake, and for the next 150 years, many people were persecuted and burned for having the Bible in English. Can you believe that? You know, if we were in church 500 years ago, we'd all be risking our lives right now for what you're holding in your hands, the Bible in English. You could be burnt alive. The church of the day saw God's Word as a powerful threat to its authority, and this was one thing that they actually got right. If the people had Scripture, they'd soon realise that that was all they needed They wouldn't need the Catholic Church any longer. The Church had every reason to be afraid. Today, we're looking at Scripture alone. As Jane said, this is the final of the five key ideas that the Reformers rediscovered in the Bible. And really, this should have been the first one that we looked at in this series, because all the other ideas of the Reformation... Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, God's glory alone, all the rest actually come from this idea and rest on this idea of Scripture alone. At the time of the Reformation, there was an academic movement to return to the original sources. When Constantinople fell to the Ottoman Empire in 1453, those who who fled from the city brought with them early Greek manuscripts of the Bible and from many other ancient sources. And this helped spark a turn from tradition back to the sources themselves. This movement, called humanism, it paved the way for the Reformation. As as the people turned back to the Bible, they discovered that the church around them was completely out of step with the Bible. One scholar, who we're going to focus on today, who became captivated by the Bible was William Tyndale. He was born in 1494 and he started studying in Oxford in 1506. And then in 1517, he began studying theology. So, 1517, he was a student right when Luther was causing a storm over in Wittenberg. Now, even though Tyndale studied theology, theology just means knowledge of God or a word about God, even though Tyndale studied theology, his official coursework didn't even look properly at Scripture. Later, he wrote about this and he said, they have ordained that no man shall look on the Scripture until he be nozzled in heathen learning eight or nine years and armed with false principles with which he is clean shut out of the understanding of the Scripture. See, in the church's mind, God's Word really wasn't that important for knowing God, knowing about God. More important to them were the teachings of the church. Fortunately, though, Tyndale was a linguistic genius. 
He spoke several languages fluently, Latin, Italian, Spanish, English, French and German. Anyone top that? Because he's got more. Importantly, he knew Greek and Hebrew as well, so that he could devote himself to understanding Scripture in the original languages. Tyndale was so devoted to the Scriptures that he started to get a bad name for himself around the place. When he was studying at Cambridge, he managed to upset people from all over that area. Abbots, priests and archdeacons were all offside. And apparently, priests would rail against him in the alehouses, complaining of the way that he always pointed to Scripture and challenged the beliefs of the church. Eventually, he managed to rock the boat enough that he was summoned before John Bell, a bishop's chancellor, and was threatened with being charged as a heretic. And it would have been a, a terrifying experience. Had things gone differently, he could have been burnt at the stake. It would have scared most people into being a bit more careful in what they said. But Tyndale seems to have been the kind of person who, when he knew something was right, he just couldn't help but speaking up. Because one day, not long after this, as he was arguing with a priest, uh, a so-called divine or doctor of the church, the priest got sick of the way that Tyndale kept appealing to Scripture and he said this, we are better to be without God's law than the Pope's. We are, to, we are better to be without God's law than to be without the Pope's. Now, this made Tyndale really mad and so he said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plough to know more of the Scripture than you. Tyndale, like all the Reformers, had a radically different view of Scripture to the Catholic Church. To Tyndale, Scripture was plain, it was simple and could be understood by, by all believers. Unlike the church, he thought it was possible that someone like a ploughboy, a, a farmhand, could understand Scripture without a priest interpreting it to them. Whereas the church asserted that it had to interpret Scripture for people. Even after someone had studied for years and years and years, they were still barely able to understand Scripture the interpretation of the church was needed. Well, the priest complained more and more about Tyndale and, and so in 1523, he left the area and moved to London with a plan. And his plan was to translate Scripture into English, but not from the Latin, the Vulgate, which was a poor translation. His plan was to translate the Bible into English from the original languages, Greek and Hebrew. Perhaps naively, Tyndale tried to enlist the support of Bishop Cuthbert Tunstall. He thought this bishop would be interested because he'd, he'd worked with a famous scholar called Erasmus on making the Greek New Testament available. But it was one thing to make the Bible available to scholars and another thing to make it available to just anyone who could read. Tunstall was actually one of the first to recognise the danger of making learning accessible to everyone. And so he saw the technology, the new technology of the printing press as dangerous and he had said, we must root out printing or printing will root us out. 
The reformers, on the other hand, saw that the smartest, the most brilliant religious person, even with all the help of the Catholic Church, has no chance of of reaching up and discovering God. No matter how smart they are, no matter how holy, no matter how religious, no matter how much help they got from the church, they're just not going to be able to reach up and understand God. But God is more than capable of reaching down and making Himself clearly known to even a farmhand, even the simplest, most uneducated person. God is more than capable of doing that and He does it Himself, unaided in Scripture. The Catholic Church back then and today, they believed that Scripture was revealed by God, but they didn't believe in Scripture alone. They argued for Scripture and the handing down of apostolic tradition. Let me see if I can illustrate the difference. This is the Bible's own understanding of itself. In the Bible, Jesus, the Word of God, speaks through the Gospel message that He entrusted to the Apostles, who wrote down this message in Scripture, so that Jesus goes on speaking to us by the Holy Spirit through the writings of the Apostles. But for the Catholic Church, in Tyndale's time and today, Jesus speaks to us through the Gospel message that He entrusted to the Apostles and He goes on speaking to us through Scripture and the apostolic tradition as it interprets Scripture which has been handed down through the Catholic Church. In fact, you can't understand Scripture unless you have that interpretation from the apostolic tradition. This is how one modern Catholic apologist explains it writes, the true rule of faith, as expressed in the Bible itself, is Scripture plus apostolic tradition, as manifested in the living teaching authority of the Catholic Church, to which were entrusted the oral teachings of Jesus and the Apostles, along with the authority to interpret Scripture correctly. Do you see that? You need the church. Now, it might seem like a small difference to us, perhaps, if we're not particularly haven't given it too much thought before, but it's huge. See, if someone speaks but the translator gives the interpretation, so if they speak in another language but the translator gives the interpretation, who's in control of the message? Well, let's have a go at it. Pung, come up here for us, see if we can illustrate this. Pung's going to speak a really important message to you in Chinese, Mandarin, and I'm going to interpret it, so make sure you're listening really carefully to Pung's message, because it's super important. Okay, go for it, Pung. He says he's actually really glad uh, that I asked him to come up today, because he's got something that he's been working on that he really wants to show us. He's a little bit shy, but he knows that we're a loving church, so he knows that we'll accept this dance that he's been working on. He says, please don't laugh, he he takes it very seriously. Yes, you're right. (laughs) Ah, Pung, come on. (laughs) Now, was that an accurate translation, Pung? 
No, he says. <laughs> now, the Catholic Church said that the Holy Spirit inspires both the Scripture and the tradition passed on. But in reality, the tradition has control over the Scripture, just like I had control over Pung's message just then. If we had to go on for a bit longer, I would have got you clapping and tried to get him dancing, but not to be. Now, the church claimed that it endorsed the Scripture. It's the church that endorses Scripture, and this is what gives Scripture its authority. And therefore, the church is the foundation on which Scripture rests. But it has never been the church that authenticates God's Word. Never. It has always been the speaking God in His Word that authenticates a people. God in Scripture sits over His people as God. If we put it a different way, the church rests on the foundation of Scripture. And Scripture rests on no other foundation. It authenticates itself. Now, this might sound like a circular argument, but it actually has to be this way. Because as soon as you legitimise the Word of God by another authority, as soon as you try and put another foundation under there, you undermine the authority of the Word of God. This is God speaking. Rather than needing the church to interpret Scripture, listen to how Paul says it to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15. Look at how even from infancy, from infancy, unaided, from the church, he has known the Holy Scriptures and he writes, he's known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Scripture is sufficient to the task of making people wise for salvation. Scripture is sufficient. Not to make you a rocket scientist or an electrician, but Scripture is sufficient to make even the ploughboy, even the infant, wise for salvation. Scripture, without anything else needed, is able to do this. God is the speaking God. And as Paul goes on to say in verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed, is God-speaking. The speaking God doesn't need help to make people wise for salvation. He's able to do it through Scripture alone. He speaks His Word powerfully, clearly and sufficiently for salvation to bring about faith in Jesus Christ. As soon as you think that you need to supplement Scripture with something, you actually usurp it. You replace the voice of God with the voice of man. Because you're saying that God is insufficient to the task and you're saying that we need to listen to and believe something or someone else other than God in order to know God. Tyndale and all the Reformers saw that this is an insult to God to say that He needs the church to interpret His voice. Well, what about us? Where are we at risk of, of denying Scripture alone, a Scripture alone? I think there's a, a danger for us in the way that we do 
our community groups, or at least a potential danger if, if we don't think about it. See, the danger is that as we, we sit around discussing the Bible in our groups, the danger is that as a group we could find ourselves determining the meaning of the passage rather than as a group carefully listening to the voice of God. We don't sit in judgment on the Bible, the Bible is sitting in judgment of us. As Hebrews 4.12 says so well, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If community groups are not an uncomfortable experience for us from time to time, then maybe we need to rethink whether we're sitting over the Word of God or sitting under it. Another way that we can deny Scripture alone is when we think it's insufficient to hear the voice of God just in Scripture. See, Scripture is not only sufficient to make us wise for salvation, it's also sufficient for living for God now. Did you notice that as our passage was read? Because Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have everything we need in, in Scripture for salvation, but also everything we need to live the godly life now that God wants us to live. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. God may choose to reveal something to us outside of Scripture. If He does, it will never contradict Scripture. And if He does choose to reveal something to us outside of Scripture, we'll be no better off than the person who never hears from Him in that way. In fact, we could well be worse off because we might be tempted to overlook the clear voice of God in Scripture for some other experience. Do you want to hear God speak today? Do you want to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit for today? Well, it's easy. Open your Bible and you can. We're not missing out. What we have is more than sufficient. This is God-breathed. This is God still speaking. And God is very capable of making Himself clearly known. The thing about Scripture alone is that it liberates us from having to have to, from having to authenticate our spirituality by having extra experiences of God. Another subtle way that we can deny Scripture alone is that we can have a theology that interprets Scripture for us. And in the end, we can end up listening to it more than the voice of God in Scripture. Through the, the years of um, being a minister, people have often said to me things like this, What's small college's interpretation of women in ministry? Or what's small college's interpretation of predestination? Or what's Trinity's interpretation of homosexuality? Now, I, I get why people ask these questions. And it's usually for good reasons that they're asking. But it's incredibly hard to answer their question. There is no interpretation. Scripture is our interpretation. Because Scripture is God's interpretation of our world. 
There's not some special volume outside the Bible that, that holds all true interpretations. If there were, then that would be the true authority and not the Bible. When people say to me, but how do you interpret the Bible? I want to answer them by saying, how do you interpret the advertiser? You know, you don't interpret it, you just read it. And in a real sense, you don't interpret the Bible, you just read it, you listen to God speaking. We need to be careful to let God speak to us and not instead be focusing on an external interpretation. Let me finish by returning to the story of Tyndale. In 1524, Tyndale left England, he gave up trying to translate the Bible into English there and decided to do it in Europe. So he travelled traveled to Wittenberg and Hamburg and Antwerp and he translated the New Testament into English there from the original Greek and then once he'd done that, he began to work on the Old Testament in the Hebrew. As he translated the Greek, he corrected the mistakes that the church made, like the church had mistranslated the Greek word metanoia as penance, when it should be repentance. This really obvious mistake was the source of so many wrong ideas in the church. And when he came across the Greek word presbyter, he didn't translate it priest, which was another huge mistake that the church made. Presbyter means elder. And when he came across the Greek word ecclesia, he didn't even translate that church. Tyndale didn't want the ploughboy, when he read church in the New Testament, to be thinking of the whole corrupt institution or the building up on the hill, the church building, because that's not what the word means. The word means gathering or assembly. And so Tyndale translated it into English as congregation. Tyndale's Bible's New Testaments were smuggled into England and they spread like fire. Suddenly people could hear the voice of God speaking to them without the need of ritual or priest or church. And these things weren't even mentioned in the text that they were reading. No wonder the priests and the bishops were terrified. Bishop Tunstall, who we heard about before, warned all the archdeacons, because they were popular amongst the priests as well, warned all the archdeacons and the priests that copies of Tyndale's New Testament were to be handed in within 30 days or they would be excommunicated. He told the London booksellers that they were forbidden from selling them and at one stage, 22 booksellers were rounded up and imprisoned. Some of them died of sickness in prison. When Thomas More became Chancellor in 1529, the tactics changed from burning the books to burning those who owned them and believed their ideas. In 1535, Tyndale was betrayed by a friend to the imperial authorities over in Antwerp. He was put in jail for a year, charged as a heretic, and then in 1536, he was strangled and then burnt at the stake. His last words were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. God answered his prayer. Within four years, through the influence of Kremner and others, King Henry had allowed not one, but four translations of the Bible into English. And all of them mostly drew on Tyndale's work. 
It resonates with us culturally that we don't need anyone to interpret God's voice for us. We don't need a pope. We don't need a priest. We don't need a minister. But culturally, we can go one step further and think we don't even need Scripture to know God. Sometimes we don't think that we think like that, but how we live shows what we really think. We can so undervalue God's Word that we don't bother to know it, to read it, to teach it, and to speak it. What a tragedy! What a waste! In his preface to his 1526 New Testament, Tyndale wrote and envisaged a completely different approach to God's Word. He wrote, Give diligence, reader, I exhort thee, that thou come with a pure mind, and as the Scripture saith, with a single eye unto the words of health and of eternal life, by the which, if we repent and believe them, we are born anew, created afresh, and enjoy the fruits of the blood of Christ. Tyndale rightly saw that God's Word was so valuable and so needed that it was worth living by and, and worth dying for. This year, 2017, is actually 500 years since the Reformation started. It's 500 years since Luther nailed on the church door his 95 Theses. The ideas that the, the Reformers lived by and died for that they rediscovered in the Bible, are just as important, just as relevant today as they were back then. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, God's glory alone. Let's pray that we never forget them. Let's pray that we always come to God's Word with the diligence that we should, ready to hear God speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word, that by it you turned Europe upside down 500 years ago, that by it thousands of people were willing to die to have your message freely available, that by it you transform miserable sinners like us and make us into loved sons and daughters. You open our eyes, Lord, to see Christ and so to see and to know you. Lord, help us to come with diligence to your word, to daily read it, to know it, to teach it, to live by it, to speak it. Lord, help it not just to stop with us, but help us to pass it on to our kids, our friends, people who don't even know you yet. Lord, may we be people who listen to you speak as you speak to us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.